Oh, yeah, the joy of the Lord is good. Praise God. All right, Seth, I'm going to roll. Stories from the altar. Um, kind of sadly, we've come to the end, but we have our final and greatest story of all. It is of the brazen altar and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus and the brazen altar. You might be thinking, well, the brazen altar, uh, Moses got that message from God to erect the brazen altar. Um, but you'll find out that the brazen altar really was the altar of Jesus' life. Hallelujah. And we're going to share that with you this morning. It is the sixth altar story, the brazen altar. And I want to I want to bring out the verse we've kind of been using all along, Matthew 23, 19. Jesus himself said this about the altars of God. And certainly, he was thinking of this ultimate of all altars, the brazen altar, which was the cross of Calvary on which he would offer up his life. Here we go. Jesus asks, which is greater, the offering or the altar that makes the offering sacred because Jesus knew that on that cross where he would inaugurate our salvation offering himself up it would be that altar that we would come to forever millions of people throughout their lives would come to that altar and offer up themselves to God that altar of Jesus that he set sacrificed and so he says the altar is greater for it makes the offering that is placed upon it, sacred before God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Well, God ordained the brazen altar to solve the problem of the ages. I bet you're wondering, what is the problem of the ages? You look around the world today, there's so many problems that we have. And, you know, uh, just as soon as you think you figured out what the big problem is, you, you realize a bigger one has showed up. But there has been one problem over the face of the earth for all mankind for over 6,000 years. And that problem is, how can I survive the payment for my sins? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. God said, in the day that you rebel against me and break fellowship with me, it's going to cause your death. Dying, you will die. You will enter a process of dying until you die physically and you will be gone, separated from me forever. That is true death. And that is the, the great problem that face the human race. How can I pay the price, the penalty for my sin and yet live on? How can I survive the paying of what I owe to God and live? How can I die and yet live. The great problem, the great quandary, the question that hangs over humanity, Jesus answered with the brazen altar. The brazen altar is the thing that God ordained to quantify our sins, bring them all together in one, put them to death, remove them from us, leaving us alive and free to return to him. And he would do that through the brazen altar. Hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. So in the Old Testament, when the brazen altar was first introduced through Moses in the building of the tabernacle, um, the brazen altar, when you would enter the tabernacle, 
was the first thing you found. You couldn't go forward. You couldn't go into the holy place or the most holy place. Uh, you couldn't even think of having fellowship with God or with God's people without going to the brazen altar first. And the brazen altar was where God received the sacrifices of his people. Everyone would come with a lamb or with their offering. And the brazen altar was a uh, um, giant acacia wood. What is acacia wood? I forgot. We have a, we call it something different today. It's, um, and anyway, it's very hard wood. And it was a giant, giant wooden like box with four horns that, that stuck out on, on the four corners, lined on the inside with bronze, the hardest of all metals. And um, there was a grate set across the top, and the, the offerings that would be offered up would be tied to the horns of the altar. The person that was making the offering, for example, uh, if Mark brought a, a lamb to offer up in the Old Testament for his sins, the, the lamb would be bound and laid on that altar, um, tied to the horns of the altar, but Mark would have to keep his hands on the head of that lamb as the priest slew it. And that lamb represented Mark's sins. And Mark was basically saying to God, Lord, my, my sin must be put to death. It's the only way you can stop sin. You can't stop sin with time out. You think you have trouble stopping your rebellious kid with time out. Look at yourself. Time out doesn't work against your sin, does it? Sending you to camp, it's not going to do it. Putting you through some sort of religious training, not going to do it. Threatening you, it's not going to do it because you can't stop sin. It has a life of its own. It lives in us. And, um, you know, we could pressure ourselves to kind of curtail it, but it is a nature. That's why they call it sin nature. We think of sin as simply the moral boo-boos, the acts. Some are moral boo-boos. Some are, are, are crimes. But we think of all that as deeds that are done. But the, the root of sin is the sin nature that is within us. The nature that was changed when Adam and Eve fell from being made in the image and likeness of God to the Holy Spirit being driven out of our lives and the spirit of Satan came into the life of humanity and every child born. From that moment forth, even though some you know, behave better than others, Everyone was born in sin. So sin is a nature, and you can't curtail it or curb it um, through behavioral modification. It has to be put to death. It's the only way to stop it. Sin's got to stop breathing, stop thinking, stop acting. So it's got to be put to death. And so Mark would come with a lamb representing a sin nature. It would be tied to the brazen altar. He'd keep his hands on it while it was sacrificed to God. Hallelujah. But the brazen altar that, that we're figurative using Mark as an analogy of and all the rest of us in the Old Testament would bring our sacrifices to, it was only a symbol. Lambs offered up weren't really ending our sin nature. We would go away temporarily forgiven until we were back at it again. The sin nature didn't leave Mark because he offered up a lamb. But it was a symbol God was willing to honor temporarily 
But more than that, it was a teaching tool, a prophetic teaching tool to teach Israel something very important. The brazen altar of the Old Testament was a prophetic symbol of the actual altar that one day God himself would build. And he would actuate it, and he would inaugurate it, sanctifying it, giving it power to make what was offered on it holy and sacred to God. And that was Jesus' act on Calvary's cross. So the cross itself, the wooden cross, was not the altar, but it was the act of Jesus in obedience to the Father, offering himself up as that offering, that turned it in to the actual fulfillment of what the brazen altar is. And you could see, can't you already, how it really fulfilled the purpose of the brazen altar, to put sin to death. Jesus of Nazareth died at 33 and a half years old. He died. He gave up the ghost. Three days later, he rose from the dead because there was no sin in him. The sins of mankind were laid upon him. We put our hands on him confessing our sins, just like our analogy of Mark putting hands on the lamb he brought, but on Jesus, the lamb of God, we confess Jesus. May my sin nature die with you. He died. He took our sin, the punishment of it upon himself. His death was a substitutionary death in place of our death. He died our death for us. So the whole point in the Old Testament at the, at the brazen altar of there being animal sacrifices. If you, like me, who I came out of heathendom, I had no religious training before I was a Christian. So when I would read in the Old Testament how God had, these, had this altar, brazen altar, and they would offer animals for the sins, I, I couldn't get my mind around it. Even as a Christian, I accepted that it was right for the time, but I, I really didn't understand the meaning of it. How can killing animals, oh my gosh, if PETA had been around back then, can you imagine They'd be going nuts. I couldn't understand. Why is this killing of an animal? It had a teaching purpose. It was to teach us the feasibility, the potential, the possibility. Hallelujah. It demonstrated the possibility of surviving the death of our sin nature. The animal would die, but the one who brought it got to go home. And that was, that was what God was trying to get to sink down into the minds of the people. One day I am going to actually bring the brazen altar, and I'm going to put the Lamb of God on that altar. And in that one day, in that one act, sin nature, your sin nature, will be obliterated. It will be terminated. It will be ended but you'll get to go home. You'll get to go home, hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? Have you ever wondered why the animal sacrifice? It was the only way God could show one lives, the other dies. One dies, the other lives. Hallelujah, praise God. Oh, the Holy Spirit has just got to put that on your mind and just send it down into your heart. Our sins would die, but we would survive 
to have an opportunity to accept God without sin being in the way. Isn't that praise? Isn't that praiseworthy to the Lord? Hallelujah. So fast forward from the brazen altar, and hundreds and hundreds of years later, there's Jesus of Nazareth. He's been preaching throughout Galilee and Judea. He is the Messiah. But now the whole reason why he's come into the world, he's about to face the Jewish Sanhedrin. He's about to face Herod. He is about to fulfill his mission in the world to become the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. So in his mind, he is the one who told Moses, make the brazen altar. Here's how it's supposed to function. Because he saw what he was about to do to bring the fulfillment. And his purpose was that we would understand what would happen on Calvary's cross because we would remember the brazen altar. So as Jesus approaches the cross, the brazen altar of atonement, let's call it the brazen altar of atonement. How many of you know that fancy theological word, atonement? The word atonement is three words contracted together, at one meant. We were put at one with God, at one meant. Atonement means that we who were separated from God have been made one with God, atonement. So the brazen altar is the altar, the brazen altar of at one meant or atonement. So as Jesus is about to face the brazen altar, listen to how he prepares himself with prayer. He's talking to his father, and his whole conversation with his father is preparation for being tied to the horns of the altar as the Lamb of God. Listen to the words he speaks, because they reveal exactly why and how the brazen altar of atonement will work. Not only that day, that Jesus laid down his life, but for all eternity going forward. John 17, 20 and 23. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they can be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that, here we go, you love them as much as you love me. That was how Jesus' prayer prepared the cross of Calvary to become the altar of atonement. He said the whole purpose is to bring them back together into oneness. What kind of oneness? Um, is God going to let us into his religious club and we'll be one with him like members of a club? No, but Jesus said, Father, that they may be one like you and I are one. The Father and the Son are inseparable. In fact, they are the same being manifest 
in two manifestations, the eternal invisible Father and the Father quantified on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ. For Jesus says to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul writes in the book of Colossians, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily in Jesus. He's not a part of God. He's not an associate of the divine Godhead. He is the eternal I am. And he's about to go on the cross to become the Lamb of God. And he says the whole force that brings this about is the love that you have for me and you have the same love for them. Think of the awesomeness, Bonnie. The Father, over 2,000 years ago, loved you and today loves you as much as the Father loves the Son. That is how Jesus inaugurated the brazen altar. He said, this altar is being erected. It is going to be consecrated. It will be acted upon. It will make every offering that will be offered up on this altar from this day forward sacred before God. What is the power, the glue that will bring it together? What is the force that will make it happen? The fact that God loves you. It reverses. It slams on the brakes, reverses the engines, and backs up the whole weapon of Satan that has been used on humanity. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't want you. So Jesus said, oh, that the world may know that you love them as much as you love me. The existence of the brazen altar of atonement is proof that God the Father wants you. How many times have you gone to bow your knee in prayer with a burden on your shoulders that you have done something stupid, that you have fallen back into a cycle of behavior, that you have stepped off the path, that you have sinned in some manner or another, whether it was a large, big sin or a moral boo-boo, there it is, the burden sitting on your shoulder. You go to pray, and it's hard. It's hard to pray. And the thought in your mind is, that's God's displeasure with you. That's God's, you're feeling the force of God's anger against sin. Because you're coming in prayer with sin in your life, and God doesn't like sin, and you're feeling that buffer. You're coming up against the divine wrath of God against sin, the displeasure of the eternal holy God against sin. You're feeling that. And so the whole time you're trying to press into prayer, it's hard. That is not God. That is Satan talking to you. Saying to you, because of your sin, you did it, you committed it, no lie, no excuse. Saying to you, God doesn't like you. God is mad at you. He is so disappointed. He's not really ready to see you right now. You go to pray, think, I better let a day or two go by and let this all settle and cool down before I try to pray. I, I just feel like I feel so condemned. What is it? The brazen altar of atonement is proof that God wants you. And let me go ahead and say it. God wants to unsin you. God wants to unsin you. So who is it 
As you approach the, the altar of prayers, you approach Jesus. Who is it that is saying to you, God doesn't want you? God doesn't love you? Who's trying to keep you from the altar? Satan knows that the minute you lay hold of the altar of Jesus in prayer, bingo, you are accepted in the beloved and you become sacred unto God. You say, oh, but, but I sinned a sexual immoral sin. Oh, but I lied. Oh, but I cheated. Oh, but I, um, I, I fell back into a sinful pattern that God's delivered me from a thousand times. He's sick of me by now. You see, you've got all of that on you. God is saying, come on, come on, come on, come on, come to me. If you sin and you confess your faults before the Father, what did John say in 1 John? He is faithful and just. See, God's not doing something wrong by forgiving you, even though you've done it 10,000 times. He's not, do, he's not violating a principle. He's not doing something wrong. He's, he's already done what needs to be done 2,000 years ago. God isn't mad when you sin because his anger was totally absorbed and poured out on Calvary's cross. Jesus, a fancy, another theological word, became the propitiation of our sins, Paul writes. Wow, propitiation of our sins, that sounds, sounds like something important. Well, it really is. It means he absorbed all of the anger of God against sin. He didn't just die for sins symbolically. The Bible says if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And all this is of God who had Jesus, his son, in verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, become sin for us, become an offering of sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When you sin, Christian, listen to me, God might feel something, but it is not anger. It is not the anger at sin, because all that hostility and anger, the anger of sin, I'm, I hope I'm using the right word, I really mean to say judgment. That judgment was poured out on Jesus. So now what is it that he feels? The urgency of his love to bring you in to health, to get that off of your back because it doesn't belong there. See, he's made you the righteousness of God in Christ the minute Jesus Christ became your Lord. The sin nature died. God, by the Holy Spirit, sent his nature into you. You are no longer a sinner with sin nature. Now you're a child of God going out and sinning. You say, if I wasn't a sinner, I wouldn't be sinning. No, no, no. See, unsaved people think they're sinners because of the sins they commit. They don't know they're sinners because they're unsaved. The root of what a sinner is is that they are in separation from God. It may manifest in all kinds of different ways. And isn't it ridiculous, church? Come on. Isn't it ridiculous? We look today, we see the LGBTQ community, all the craziness they're doing, and we think, oh my God, oh, oh, the world is just going to hell. The world went to hell when Adam and Eve stepped off the boat. It's been there ever since. And we think, oh, God, those gay people. Sin isn't the particular manifestation of deeds that sinners do because they're sinners. It is the fact that they're separated from God, and that's what Jesus came to you. That's why you don't ever say to somebody, well, you've got to stop and change your behavior before God will save you. That's like, 
I like to fish. Pastor Terry and I go out and fish. We don't clean the fish before we catch them. Oh, you might think, wow, you caught the Mrs. Mrs. Paul's fish sticks. No, you've got to catch the fish before you clean them. So we don't, t- we don't tell people, look, you've got you to gotta stop doing this, stop doing that. You better get that under control. Then you can come to the house of God. Who is saying that? Satan is saying that. Because Satan wants to keep people in the cycle of impossibility. Again, what was the great conundrum that the Lord faced when he, when he authorized and ordained the brazen altar? It was how can the sinner die and yet live to be reunited with God? How can that happen? And so God is wanting the sinner that's in rebellion against God to die. We think people die because of the particular sins, and it's terrible how we as a human race go around and we elevate ourselves comparing our sins to somebody else's. There's a whole religious structure going on out there in the world. Well, at least I'm not that bad. Or I don't do that, or you do that. Oh my God, that's terrible. You see, but there's only one of two statuses in the human race. You're either with God or you're not with God. He loves both. He loved us while we were sinners. But there's only two statuses, the lights on, the lights off. There's the light switch. Giselle, hit the light switch. Hit all four of them. Off. No, on. There you go. There's two statuses. There's nothing in the middle. There's no dimmer switch. Man-made dimmer switches. God's got an on switch and an off switch. You're in sin, you're out of sin. That's it. So when you're out of sin, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Does that mean, oh my God, I went out and sinned after I got saved. I went out and sinned. Did I just lose my salvation? No. What are you? You're now a saint being stupid. You're now a child of God being weak. But God loves you. Why is God doing for you what he, what he can't do for the unsafe person? When the unsafe person goes out, robs a store, hits somebody over the head, shoots drugs, um, gets involved in, in messes, why does God not forgive them and pour mercy out upon them? While if you go out and do that as a Christian, you backslide, yet he leaves the door open for you to be forgiven and come back. Because your status. The light switch is off here. Light switch is on here. You have life in you. You have access to the brazen altar. These folks have never come to the brazen altar. That's why we tell unsaved people, come to Jesus. Come to the brazen altar. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you're mixed up with. It doesn't really matter. Come to Jesus so that the sinner can die and you can live. And what do people say when you're witnessing to them about Jesus? Well, will I have to give up this? Will I have to give up that? What, do I look like God to you? Yeah, but what does the Bible say about what's right? Oh, the Bible's very clear about things that are right and things that are wrong. But those are not the things that determine whether you're going to heaven or not. Did you know people go to, don't go to heaven because they sin less than whatever the scales balance out? What about thief on the cross? A whole lifetime of sinning. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. You see, it's not the, go, it's not the sinning. So the people on this side where the light's on might say, Well, does that mean that I can sin so that grace can abound? Well, no, because you're just inviting trouble. 
You know that as a child of God, when you go out and get involved in sexual immorality, look at pornography, commit fornication, you go out, get drunk, you get high, you do drugs, you go out, you lie, steal, cheat, you, uh, you involve yourself in things that are obviously and evidently sinful. Does God kick you out of his family? He didn't have to. You have put yourself in a state of condemnation. God isn't screaming at you, you dummy, you idiot, what's wrong with you? Satan is. Satan has got you in a chokehold. He's got you locked up. You're trying to tap out, but the devil's not going to let you go. And he's saying to you, God hates you, God hates you. See, God cares that you're in that state. He's saying, you know, tag, you ever watch tag team wrestling? You know, you may, maybe you guys are just into football and baseball. You don't watch the more sophisticated. <laughs> but in, in tag team wrestling, you know, he's got you choked out and you're banging them out to try to get your partner to come in and tag up with you. And boom, you break loose and uh, Dusty Rhodes take, jumps in and takes over for you. See, <clears throat> Satan's got you locked up as a Christian when, when you sin. He sees you suffering. Jesus wants you to tag up with the altar. Father, forgive me. The minute you go to the altar, pour your heart out. You can feel it. That Satan's grip comes, starts breaking off of you. God starts peeling. They're mine. Get off him, demon, in the name of Jesus. I command condemnation. He starts pulling them off of you. Because get off my child. He wants to do that for these guys, but they have to get the light switch turned on. They can't turn it on, but if they'll come to Jesus, he'll turn it on. Oh, that you and I could go and articulate this to every unsaved person we know. Get your light turned on. Hallelujah. Christians are often accused of teaching the very opposite of what Jesus really did on that brazen altar. They oftentimes give out the impression that, that Christ, by dying, persuaded an angry, vengeful God to love the human race. That is in the back of many Christians' mind and the way they express salvation, they imply that the Father was mad but the son is the one that loved us. And when he died on the cross, he turned the father's heart towards us in favor. It was then that the father could look on us with love. That is a, I'm going to use a highly technical theological term. That's a big fat lie. <laughs> Nothing could be more wrong. Nothing could be more deceiving and damaging because it was God's love that moved him to create the altar of atonement in the first place. Come on. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten. God loved us before he came as Jesus. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be, here's the word, propitiation for our sins. What's propitiation? 
took the wrath of God against sin. God has always hated sin, but he loves the sinner. I'm going to share something with you this morning that's really going to be an eye-opener. I guarantee you it'll help you if you can fit it into your prayer theology. Um, Through our sins, our sins were against God. That's what a sin is. It's against God. When we sin, we're not... We may sin against people, but ultimately our sins are, as David said in Psalm 51, against you, O Lord, and you alone have I sinned and committed this evil. So our sins were against God, but it was God loving us that moved him to take the initiative in healing the relationship that we broke with him through our sins and then to bear the cost entirely himself. I'm beginning to move to a point that I want to make, and I think it's going to be an eye-opener for some of you. The familiar verse, Galatians 2.20, Paul confesses, I have been crucified with Christ. So he's saying, I was tied, I have laid hold of that altar. And now it is no longer I who live. It's no longer me, the sinner, who lives. But Christ who lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, see, he's saying, I died, but I escaped death. Then life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. God proves his love in essence. If I could quantify what the word of God says and put it into phrases that I'd like to put in the mouth of God, make him speak to us this morning, but I think this is what he is saying. I am their creator, as he looks upon the human race that has fallen. I am their creator. They rebelled, and they ruined our relationship. True? Okay. They are guilty, not me. God in the Bible is saying, I made them, I love them. They rebelled, ruined our relationship. They're guilty, not me. The fall of Adam isn't God's fault. The fall of Adam isn't the devil's fault. The fall of Adam is our fault. They are guilty, not me. Next point, nevertheless, I will take the responsibility for having created them and I will pay the price to right their wrong. Not by ignoring what's right and saying, oh, okay, I changed my mind. Sin doesn't really matter. God doesn't move the goalposts in order to justify us. He basically is saying, not by ignoring what's right, but by paying what's right. This is what necessitated Jesus creating the altar and dying on it. God's just wrath against sin nature that ruined his creation That price had to be paid with death. God said, I'll pay it. I don't owe it, they owe it, but I'll pay it. I didn't do it, they did it. I'm not guilty, they're guilty. But why would I do that? I love them. And I think God, as creator, was looking at the human race and saying, I made them, I knew what I was gonna do from the beginning. I made man to succeed, not to fail. I made mankind, to in eternity to come, 
rule and reign with me throughout the universe and throughout all eternity. And that plan will not be thwarted. God cannot fail. And what is it about God that can't fail? His love cannot fail. 1 Corinthians 13, now abides faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. Love never fails. So by the love of God, God's saying, I created them and I am going to fix them. I will pay the price. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Because I love them, my love will triumph over judgment. God's saying, I'm not going to ruin what makes me God by all of a sudden turning my back on what's right and what's wrong. It's only right that sin must be paid for by being put to death. But if I make them die for their sins, who's going to live to be my child? They, by their death as sinners, will die eternally separated from me. Do you see this? You're getting some deep theology this morning. Hallelujah. But you can take this and walk it out in your life, in your prayer walk, in your mind, so that you know where you stand with God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Why? Because I love them. Jesus came into the world as what? God loving you. Jesus is God loving you, offering himself on the, the cross, creating the brazen altar of atonement, doing for you what was impossible for you to do for yourself. He died your death without ending you. Isn't that awesome? That's why Jesus died and rose from the dead three days later. He died without ending you. That's something you could never do <clears throat> so that he could restart you with a new sinless life. That's what being born again is. Now it's starting to dawn on you. Oh, born again. That's why they call it born again. He ended me and restarted me. Hallelujah. He killed the sinner, but I'm alive as the child of God. Now here's the, the big reveal. Once Jesus inaugurated the brazen altar on Calvary's cross, once he died, hallelujah. I just want to read it to you, then I'll make the point. It may, it may dawn on you while I'm reading this. Hebrews 10, <clears throat> uh, 10 uh, um, through 11, 11 through 14. 10, 11, and 14. It's there. Okay, you just look it up. Here we go. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priests stand and minister at that altar, that brazen altar, day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, but which can never take away sins. The death of a lamb, a goat, a pigeon, is not going to kill the sinner in you. For by that one offering of Jesus on Calvary, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So he removed death nature and he entered your life as a child, making you a child of father. Oh, that they may be one father, even as you and I are one. Now here's, here's the thing before I close. The brazen altar is Jesus at Calvary, at the cross. Satan hates the cross. He's the enemy of the cross. Why? Because the cross is, was not, and is not a one 
an, uh, uh, an event that happened in history. It is an altar that was inaugurated once for all time. And that doesn't mean once and then closed up the tent and took it away. Once he turned it on and it'll never be turned off. You get it? You have eternal access 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days. For all time, you have access to the brazen altar. And God suggests that you just live there. God suggests you just hold on to the altar, just live there. But child of God, Jesus opened that altar, flipped that switch on all the analogies that I've been using this morning, once for all, perfecting forever. So that means as a child of God, when you stumble, when you make mistakes, you fall short. Hallelujah. Where did he go? The altar. The altar. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Father, forgive me. And know that demons are trying to put their hooks in you all the way to that altar and keep you back. Just know that's what's happening. That is the occupational hazard of being a Christian living in a world full of sin and disease. But you need to be smarter. You need to know the truth. And Jesus said, you know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want to close before we pray with this one thought. You know, in our pluralistic society that we live in today, um, people believe that there must be many ways to God. And the reason they think that is because of all the diversities of cultures in the world and all the different ways that, that societies in all these different cultures, great and large, work themselves out. And so that's why people in their broken reasoning think, well, th there must be many ladders, many staircases, many ways to get to God because the world thinks of God in relationship with God as something we must achieve. And so you'll hear today that it's wrong. It, it's, it's racist. It's um, unjust to expect Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, the one way to expect that to work for everybody in the world because people in other cultures, they have, they have their gods. They have their ways, different culture. This may have a lot of culture in it, but this is not a culture. This is God coming to us, not us coming to him. That's the difference. You see, people think today in a pluralistic society, we must honor all the ways to come to God. I say, fine, yeah, knock yourself out. You're free to do it, do it. But not one of them is going to work. Because even using the Bible, you don't get to God because you work your way to God using some belief system. No. Once for all, Jesus died on the cross and he invited all who come, all who come to me, come to me at the brazen altar. I will never cast you away. Whether you are Korean, whether you are African, whether you are European, no matter what culture you are from, what kind of people you are, what kind of society, it doesn't matter because Jesus 
knows that the, what was wrong with the human race wasn't embedded in any culture. It's embedded in the human, made in the image and likeness of God. What was wrong with all of us is common to all of us. Jesus' love and his gift of himself to the world and, and the brazen altar is for everybody. It covers everybody. Can you say amen? amen? All right. Praise the Lord.